Hello, friends. Thank you for tuning in to our weekly podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro, Tennessee. I'm Drew Shelley, one of the pastors here. It is our hope and prayer that the message you hear today will help you connect deeply with the love of God we know in Jesus. Also, we'd love to connect with you so that we can share life and faith together. If you'd like more information about this church family, or if you want us to contact you, you can visit our website, fumcm.org, or you can check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, at FUMC Borough. If you're looking for a place to belong, we have that place for you in one of our classes or small groups, as a part of one of our mission teams, or in either our modern or traditional worship services, which both meet at 1015 on Sunday mornings. First United Methodist Church is a warm and welcoming community of people committed to the idea of growing disciples of Jesus Christ who know Him, love Him, and serve Him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. We hope this week's message helps you in your own personal journey towards knowing, loving, and serving Jesus in your life. We have two texts, uh, two scriptures to hear today, one from Acts chapter 26, and we'll hear this one first. Paul is uh, before Agrippa, King Agrippa, uh, making his defense, one of many defenses that he made as he was making his way to Rome. Let us hear the word of God, Acts 26, verses 24 to 32, 24 to 29, I'm sorry. While he was making this defense, Festus exclaimed, you are out of your mind, Paul, Too much learning is driving you insane. But Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking the sober truth. Indeed, the king knows about these things. He's told them the story of Jesus and his own conversion. And to him I speak freely, for I am certain that none of these things has escaped his notice, for this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, a Christian, except for these chains. And then we turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. Paul is writing to Timothy now. Timothy, you must understand this, that in the last days, distressing times will come, for people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. I'm glad he put that in there. That's really good. Uh, Ungrateful, unholy, inhuman, implacable, slanderers, profligates, brutes, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to the outward form of godliness. The outward form of godliness, but denying its power. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. 
Today, we, uh, we begin a little journey together. This week and the next uh, five weeks, six weeks all together, we're in a worship series on identity, remembering who we are as the people of God, remembering who we are. We begin by hearing these two texts, uh, two very different texts. One, King Agrippa saying to Paul, Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christ follower. You almost persuade me. And the other, Paul's warning to Timothy about this danger, a community of faith or a person having the form, the form, the image of godliness without the power. You can find these two texts in another place at the heart of another sermon preached by uh, John Wesley 280 years ago. John Wesley is one of the founders of the Methodist movement that would ultimately become our Methodist church. If that title almost a Christian, makes you a little uncomfortable, it should. Just wait till you read the thing. Oh my goodness, it will make you very uncomfortable. But it does seem uncharacteristic for this man, John Wesley, who preached grace and love somewhere nearly every day for 30 years. It seems uncharacteristic for him to preach a sermon like this. But his, his is a tale of two preachers. When he was out in the country preaching with farm workers and coal miners and those kinds of folks, my goodness, the grace and love of God just poured out of him in his sermons. You can go read many, many, many of his sermons, and when you read them, they just, they just make you want to cry, partly because they're so long, <laughs> and partly because you hear these beautiful descriptions of God's love pursuing these precious souls who have never heard such good news in all their lives. They've been surrounded by it, but they've never had the chance to hear, to really hear it in a way that they could understand. They've been conditioned to see the church as, as one of the pillars of high society and not much else other than that. Now, they hear the story of God loving them, and they, the farm workers, the coal miners, the folks out in, on the fringes of society, they are invited to love God too. No wonder the whole world erupted in revival back then, almost 300 years ago. You move John Wesley, you just pick him up from the farm workers and the coal miners, and, and you trot him down the center aisle at some beautiful cathedral or St. Mary's at Oxford University, you turn him loose there, oh my goodness, he seems a very different preacher. He speaks the hard truth of the gospel to the heart of a church which had become a cold but powerful institution, maintaining a culture, supporting and sustaining a government, and ignoring, ignoring the people they had been called to reach. Generally, as Paul would write to Timothy, having the form of godliness, but not the power. Not the power. It was in this kind of a setting where Wesley preached this sermon called Almost a Christian. His congregation that first day, the first time he preached it, was uh, full of priests, pastors, seminary students, seminary professors, and church leaders who probably did not stop and shake his hand on the way out. <laughs> in fact, 
For a time, Wesley was banned from preaching in Church of England churches. They said, no more. We don't want to hear from you anymore. They just got so mad at him about the things that he said and how, how he said them. I think we can understand their frustration with him. There is something deeply unsettling about uh, the idea that we could be so close to the gospel, so close to the good news of Jesus Christ, and yet so far away that we might somehow have aligned ourselves with an image of Christianity, but not the Christianity of the Bible. If you do go and read that sermon, you'll see that Wesley paints a picture of a beautiful church member, a church member, faithful to the church in every way, studies his Bible, gives, plays by the rule, has the golden rule written on his heart, maybe even tattooed on his chest somewhere. He knows all the hymns by heart, and he's never missed Sunday school or a church meeting. He's been there every time the door has been opened, but he is just almost, almost a Christian having the form of godliness, but not the power thereof. John Wesley, you see, is telling his own story. It is the story of many of us. John Wesley was ordained a priest in the Church of England before he would become what he would call a real Christian. Can you imagine that happening? You have to have Christianity 101 for your preacher, not with your preacher but for the benefit of your preacher. Such is the danger when our image of a thing becomes more important than the realness, the realness of the thing. It is sort of a fun way to break the first commandment, okay? You know the first commandment, I am the Lord your God, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, what if we just make God in our own image? Then we haven't really broken the thing, have we? Have we? Silly to say that, silly to say that, but so easy to do the form of godliness without the power thereof. We don't mean to do it, but it happens. It happens. I think we deal with two forms of godliness without the power thereof in our world today, at least two. On the one hand, we have what I call the good person model, the good person model. I'm a good person. I come to church. I am kind to people. I do good things. I say my prayers. I read my Bible. I hope, I hope God is happy with me. When the time comes, I hope God will let me in. I hope the scales of justice will measure fairly all the good I have done against that bad stuff I didn't really mean to do. I hope, I hope. Oh, if that's you... Let's study the scriptures together. You just have your toe in the water, my friend. Just your toe in the water. There is an overwhelming assurance to be had. Belief in Jesus opens the door to something so much deeper, so much better. There is a confidence to be had. Not in your goodness, but in the blood of Jesus and in the love of God. On the other hand, we have the I'm saved and I know it model, okay? The I'm saved and I know it model. 
I believe all the right things about Jesus. He is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Lord of my life. He died for my sins. I have put his whole trust in my, his, put my whole trust in his grace. I have the keys to heaven, and I know where I am going. If I die tonight, I know I'm going to bust heaven wide open. I'm saved, and I know it. I am confident that my faith has bought me a place in God's heart. Oh, if that's you, let's study the scriptures together. You just have your toe in the water, my friend, just your toe in the water. There is an overwhelming humility to be found. Belief in Jesus opens the door to something so much deeper, so much better. There is a confidence to be had, not in your own faith, but in the blood of Jesus and in the love of God. There are others, I am sure, but these two forms of godliness are especially alluring in their own ways. Our culture, cultural image of Christianity weaves its web around both of them with politics and social issues and traditions pulling us further and further away from the real thing, clouding our vision with nonsense and wasting our time by majoring on the minors. If we are bound up in either of these, we may be just almost, almost a Christian having the form of godliness without the power. We are like King Agrippa, almost persuaded, just almost. Here is the test the Scriptures give us when we read the whole thing. You'd better read the whole thing. How can we know if we have really stepped into the living waters of life with Jesus? A few questions help us tremendously. Is your heart full with the love of God? Is your heart full, not with just any love, but tough, gritty love that believes the best about each other and the whole world until it becomes true? Love that is patient and kind, that expects nothing in return, that is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. Love that does not insist on its own way. Love that bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, and endures all things. For the sake of this gospel, which binds us together with the world, until we are all redeemed. Is your heart full with the love of God? Are you able, are you able to love your neighbor, knowing that everybody, everybody is your neighbor? Not only is everybody your neighbor, even your enemies, even God's enemies are your neighbor. Are you able to love them as God loves them? Are you able to love yourself, your real self, just as you are? Not to be satisfied with that which is still becoming what it ought to be, but to love and believe the best about yourself until it becomes true. Are you able to love yourself? Finally, are you so overwhelmed by God's love for you that your love for God and neighbor drive your every word and action? Is your whole life given over to the work of God, loving the world back to life one heart at a time? 
Are you so overwhelmed by God's love? Now we see. We see real Christianity. Now we see the power of God. In these words that make us think, that make us nervous, is the good news, the gospel of Jesus for you and for me. God has given you this way of life as a gift. God has given the whole world the same gift. If you haven't found it yet, it is in the corner of your heart. It is that small package wrapped in brown paper. It says on it, open me first. Your real life is inside. I love you, Jesus. If you haven't found that gift, let's find it together. It is who we are. It is who we have been created to be. Let's pray together. Oh God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us, for how it calls us from complacency to action, for how it invites us to look deeply in the mirror, to see if we see a reflection of your son Jesus when we don't to pray, to work, to seek your face until we do. We thank you that you are gentle with us, that you love us, and that you believe so much more about us than we could ever believe about ourselves. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit as we make this journey together, remembering who we are by your grace. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.